Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Mick Clifford Podcast on today's September the 13th. Every week this podcast will bring you a slice of life you might find engaging and informative. We look at the big stories of the week and we also hope to delve into some of the off-agenda stories that we have featured in the Irish Examiner and our unique interpretation of these stories. This week I travelled to Ennis in County Clare to follow a story that has in one form or another been running for about 15 years but currently includes two very interesting men. Ken Mayers and Tariq Kauf are awaiting trial on charges of criminal damage worth €2,500 and illegal trespass. The pair of them were arrested on the grounds of Shannon Airport on St. Patrick's Day, where they were engaged in protesting against the presence of the US military at the airport. They'd arrived in Ireland from the USA two days previously and intended to return home to their families ten days later. On foot of the charges, though, their passports were confiscated and initially they spent some time in remand in Limerick Prison. It's fair to say that neither man is a spring chicken, but notwithstanding their senior years, they've now embarked on a walk around the country to highlight the issue that brought them here in the first place. I met them on day two of their walk in Ennis, and I started by asking Ken how far they'd walked that day. Today was about a little over 10 kilometres today. Well, we're going to walk a little bit more after we've had our conversation. And Tariq, how far do you intend to walk? Well, we're going to eventually to Malinhead. I haven't added up all the segments yet, but I think it's about 100 kilometers. No, it's about 200, 200. I think it's about 210 kilometers we'll be walking okay, along. Yeah. Right. And what are you walking for? We're walking primarily to raise awareness of the neutrality issue, of the fact that the United States has been using Shannon Airport as though it were a U.S. Air Force base ever since 2001. And uh, you you arrived here last um, March, am I correct? Correct. 15th of March. That's right. And within two days, I think you managed to get yourselves arrested. We did, at Shannon, right on the Shannon Airfield. And there is currently pending a trial in here in Ennis Circuit Court in relation to alleged, and it's only alleged, and we won't go into the detail of any of this, but alleged criminal damage and also an issue of alleged trespass. Those are issues to be dealt with the court. But that brings immediately the question. You arrived on the 15th of March. When did you intend to return home to the US? I believe it was the uh, 23rd or something like that. We were going to be here a little over, about a week. We had returned. We had returned tickets back to the states. We didn't expect to be here 
for as long as we have been. We're now in mid-September, six months later. Right. What did you come here for, for a week's visit? We came here to support the activists in Ireland who have been opposing the use of Shannon by the American military uh, for ever since 2001. Uh, we had friends in Ireland who uh, we had met, Tarek had met uh, three years ago, and at that time he promised them we'd be back to support them, and so this was keeping that promise. Let me say that we're both members of uh, an international organization called Veterans for Peace, and one of Veterans for Peace's stated goals or purposes for existing is for former military veterans who are opposed to wars. And uh, we're very much opposed to uh, the U.S. wars in the Middle East, which are wrecking havoc in the Middle East and in the world in general. And we recognize that uh, the uh, U.S. military machine is basically destroying our environment as well. So it's a very serious matter and affects all of us. Okay. Ken, you mind me asking how old are you? I'm 82 years old. And you, Tarek? <clears throat> I'm 77. Both, if I could I suggest, at a stage of life when most people would be, what you might say, kicking back and enjoying the view. Um, and you both find yourselves 3,000 miles or more, in your case, Ken, from home, effectively stuck in this country, awaiting a trial date six months after arriving. But, it, but it's not about us. It's about the children. It's about our children and others' children, and it's about the world and the earth and them having a place to grow up. It's no longer about us, because we won't be here that much longer. But the children will, and the earth and the world that they're going to live in is being destroyed primarily right now by the U.S. military. Can I ask you just in terms of walking today, any physical ailments that are affecting you while walking every day? Uh, nothing serious. I mean, uh, Are you fit, Ken? I would say I'm fit, and my doctor says I'm fit. <laughs> last, last time I met him before you came over here. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> and yourself, Tarek, are you pretty fit? I'm quite fit. For the first 12 days, you didn't get bail, and you were locked up in Limerick Jail. That's right. How was that? Well, it, it's not as bad as U.S. jails, I have to tell you. And, and uh, actually, uh, I mean, it, it's never pleasant to be in prison. To, to have your freedom taken away from you. But, you know, many of the guards themselves and the prisoners would say things like, good work, lads. They would say that to us. So you, you, you got a good reception there? We got a decent reception. You know, we, I, uh, I can't complain about that. Twelve days is a long time to spend in prison. It's a long time, but there are people who spend longer. And if it was a U.S. prison, it would be much more difficult. How do you find the camp? Oh, I, I agree. And I compared it to a summer camp I went to when I was about 10 years well, old. Not quite. Be careful. No, let me explain why. You know, because our, our freedom was restricted, too. We were told when we could eat. We were told when we could go and exercise. We were told, you know, when we had to do this. When we, It was very similar. Uh, I was treated like a, a, a well-behaved 11-year-old. Were you bored? Uh, we, had, we had good conversations. We had some reading material. and uh, it was a, We were stunned to find out they have TV in the, in the cells. We didn't, we're not TV watchers, but 
Oh, well, I mean, you wouldn't yeah. see that in the U.S. Well, yeah, I think for humane <laughs> reasons, I think it, it, it's something that's definitely... Your freedom is denied you. You're behind yeah. stone walls with bars. This is not a vacation, you know, and there was no reason to put us there. We did not do anything horrific, you know. We were trying to prevent crimes from happening. We were trying to expose massive crimes, Crimes that resulted in deaths and destruction. That's what we were doing. We didn't deserve, I'm sorry, we did not deserve to be in Limerick prison. And just to go into your own background in terms of what leads you to a situation that at this stage of life you find yourselves over here. Ken, yourself, you joined the US um, military, when, was, was it part of the draft? Are we going back to the uh, 50s here? No, well it was in the 50s, it wasn't part of the draft. Uh, I was fortunate enough to win a scholarship to Princeton University paid for by the U.S. government. Uh, I took a Marine Corps commission when I graduated from college, uh, and I spent eight and a half years on active duty in the Marine Corps until I resigned my commission at the end of 1966 in disgust with American foreign policy. Were you sent abroad? Yeah, I I spent uh, at least half of that time uh, overseas, and at the very end, uh, briefly in Vietnam. Uh, But over those eight years, the Marine Corps was showing me what the U.S. actually does in the world. And I got to a point where I said, I can't be part of this policy anymore. I resigned, and I've been actively... What age uh, age were you when you resigned? Uh, I was just shy of 30. Right. And then did you go go into civilian life? Did Uh, you you get a job? uh, Well, I went to the University of California, did graduate studies in political political science, earned a doctorate in political science, and uh, taught college for a while. I've ended up with five careers, and I finally retired from my fifth career two years ago. I thought we were to five. Well, the first one was in the military. The second one was in academia. The third one, I worked for Digital Equipment Corporation, which some of your listeners may remember. The fourth one, I was an independent consultant. And the fifth one, for 19 years, I was part of a team that managed two professional networks, two global alliances, one a global alliance of independent law firms, and the other a global alliance of independent accounting firms. So that's pretty high level of business you're involved uh, it, it was, and I, well, I finally retired because as much as I enjoyed working with that team, I felt that what I'm doing now and more active resistance uh, was was more important. I didn't have time to keep working for a living. And how long ago did you retire? Two years ago, age and, 80. And while you were working, were you involved in activism while you were I was. I was involved in activism throughout throughout that period, and I always made sure that my employers knew I was involved in activism and were supportive of me. They had no problems with it. They had no problems with it. Did you ever find yourself in conflict with the U.S. government while you were involved in activism? Regularly. Yeah. <laughs> were you ever locked up? Yes. Right. Could you give us the circumstances? Well, um, I lost track of the number of times, but I've been arrested in many protest activities. And uh, nonviolent direct action, always nonviolent and, and always, frankly, respectful of the uh, law enforcement people who were arresting us. But Tarek and I both have been arrested together and separately on quite a few occasions. And most of your activism and and the protests you were involved in would have been in the U.S.? Uh, Well, I guess most most has, but we've also been involved in protests in Jeju Island, Korea. 
on Okinawa and Palestine on a, a few trips. Um, I think that yeah. that pretty well covers it. Yeah, yeah. I'll come to Tarek in, in in a minute, but that's a serious level of commitment throughout your life. It is. I mean, was it merely your experience within the armed forces that led you to that? Or do you think you had some deeper beliefs that, that, that were anti-war in, in, in that regard? Well, I think it was primarily uh, initially from the experience in the military and the more I studied about the world and what America has done in the world, uh, the more I determined I had a responsibility uh, to... You might say, make amends for having been part of the imperial machine. Right. Tarek, come to you. Um, your experience in the military, was that in the 50s as well? Yeah, I went into the uh, U.S. Army in 1959. I wanted to be part of... Uh, was it the draft? No, it wasn't the draft. I was uh, young and idealistic, and I thought that uh, becoming a paratrooper uh, would be a glorious thing to do. I had read the history of the... 101st Airborne, the 82nd Airborne in World War II. Both of them had had serious reputations in World War II and fighting the Nazis. Right, exactly. So uh, I went in under the illusion that uh, this was going to be something uh, glorious, something noble. And after three and a half years, I was (laughs) disillusioned, let me say, of that notion. And my eyes started to open up as to what the U.S. military really was and what they did. Did you serve overseas? No, I didn't. I was quite fortunate. I was in a combat outfit. I was a machine gunner, uh, airborne infantry, as they call it. In the 101st Airborne, uh, we were trained for combat. Uh, I got out in the middle of 1962, which was before my outfit was deployed to Vietnam. And I was very happy that I was not part of that deployment, that I had already gotten out because I had realized how bad it was. But, Terry, if you were to take that to 101st Airborne, as you mentioned, and you go back less than 20 years before your time there, they were involved in the Second World War. Right. They had a prominent role. They right. were very much... Um, I mean, you know, it, it has emerged since that there was no such thing as a clean war and there was many atrocities even <clears> on the side of the Allies, the so-called good guys at the time. However... They played a vital role in what a lot of people would say was saving the world from Nazism. Does that not suggest that there are just wars? I don't believe in just wars. I'm sorry. Uh, I just don't believe in that. I think World War II could have been avoided. I think it was uh, uh, World War I certainly could have been avoided. And World War II followed uh, the Versailles Treaty, which was totally uh, unjust. Yes. You know, and took advantage of the fact of who were the victors and who were the victims. Absolutely, but and nevertheless... The war could have been avoided. Well, perhaps it could have been avoided 20 years before it in terms of the Versailles right. Treaty. But take it forward to the mid-late 30s, there was no way at that point in avoiding what appeared to be Hitler's uh, decision that he was going to take over certainly all of Europe. Now, that's one example. There can be another Hitler... That's true. And, and this, is a, this is a big debate, you know, whether there are such things as just wars or not. You know, it's a big debate and there's uh, strong arguments on both sides. But anyway, let's talk about now, because now is what we're concerned with. And right now, we see what the U.S. military is doing 
all over the world, not only in the Middle East, but in over 14 countries, and the U.S. has over 800 bases around the world, plus 400 in the U.S., which is adding to the climate destruction, mightily adding to the climate destruction. Okay, can so, I take it back to you for yeah. a minute? You were in there for two and a half years. What age were you when you left? I was not even 21. Not even 21. What did you go doing then? I, uh, I became a professional lifeguard. I, w I had a short career as a professional boxer. Uh, How did you get on professional boxing? I'd rather not go into that. It's good. It's right, good. Yeah, it's yeah. good. I didn't stay with it. Career though. Yeah. Yeah. And where were you uh, living, Tariq? I, I at that time I moved down to Miami Beach so I could be a professional lifeguard. Right. And it was very convenient to be a boxer at that time right. also. I happened to train in uh, the same gym as Muhammad Ali trained in. Very good. Did you meet him? Uh, yes. Right. And I knew some of the people, uh, some of the famous people back And him being right. a man who, had, who made his own stand against That's uh, right. going to Vietnam. That's right. Yeah. But sorry, you're going on. And, and so you, you moved on to Miami. You worked as a professional lifeguard. And um, did you have any other jobs? over? Yeah, I, was, I worked in construction. I had my own painting uh, outfit for a while. In fact, I still... I'm, I missed a whole lot of painting work uh, really, this you're summer. Still, you're still working uh, before, when you I'm, came over here? I'm still working, yeah. Very good. And tell me, and your activism, how, like, you, you leave the military, you're still in your early 20s. Right. When did you get involved in uh, protesting? Uh, not too long after that. When I got down to Miami, I, got, uh, I became friends with some people who were uh, very progressive, who understood already what was going on in Vietnam. And at that stage, was the, the primary focus of protest was all Vietnam. was Vietnam, but it was the 60s. You have to remember, it was the 60s, and we were challenging the, the ordinary status quo, let's say. And once you realize what this government was doing to the people in Vietnam who were struggling, not only against the U.S., but previously against the French, for their own freedom, for their own country, their country, right, against this oppression and colonialism and imperialism, you know, then you start looking a little bit deeper, and then you see the oppression towards black people and people of color here in the, in, in the United States. And you see that it's not just the wars at abroad, but it's the wars at home also which are going on. Okay, but it's also fair to say that, go back to the 60s, Vietnam, the USA was split down the middle. There, there was massive protests, and I mean, you know, it has been very well uh, documented and a, a fascinating time apart from anything else. But an awful lot of people, people say from the counterculture and that, who, who would have come out against Vietnam, a lot of them drifted off into middle age, settled down, took a step back. You didn't. I never did. No, right. sorry. <laughs> no, don't be sorry for it at all. I, I think it's... Well, one of the things, of and Ken says this quite a bit, and I agree with him, one of the great things about being an activist and standing up for... I feel like we're just standing up for truth. I don't feel like I'm taking a political side, per se. I feel that I'm trying to represent truth and what truth means, uh, is that you get to associate with wonderful people who put this, the, the lives of others before their own lives, who, who have some sense of self-sacrifice. So that is a wonderful benefit of being an activist. And you, so, so the, as you say, soon after you left the Army in your early 20s, you began... And you have effectively been an activist for the last 50 years. More or less, yeah. I've taken a few breaks here and there. <laughs> Would you, how, how did, what form did your breaks take? Well, I, I got involved with a meditation group uh, for a number of years. I was uh, meditating uh, a lot, 
I was running marathons, I was uh, swimming competitively, so forth and so on. And during that time, I sort of backed off from the activism. Once I left that group, I jumped back into the activism. And can I ask you, Ken, on a personal level, you family back in the States? Yes. You, you, I think you have a partner and a two, I, two adult children? I, that, that's right. My partner and I actually were scheduled to depart on our honeymoon on the 22nd of April. Uh, obviously, that has to be postponed. Uh, and, I think, yeah. And, yeah, and I have... Uh, a son and a daughter and three granddaughters. And one of the granddaughters who lives in New York City is actually going to be going to the Irish consulate along with Tarek's partner, Ellen, on Thursday to deliver a letter uh, addressed to the Taoiseach and the foreign minister, or no, the justice minister. uh, On your behalf. On our behalf, right. And... uh, deliver that. The vice consul in New York has agreed to come down and meet them uh, at the consulate, and they will be delivering this letter. And what do your family think of what has befallen you here? Well, <laughs> the first reaction is, what were you thinking? I can imagine. And, and as I said, well, it was sort of a failure of imagination. I mean, we knew about the, the 15 people who've gone on the airfield before us, uh, none of whose passports were taken away from them. Uh, we didn't realize, uh, hadn't thought through what might happen to us just because we were Americans at a time when the government might be particularly anxious to discourage others from coming over here and supporting the resistance. Have your family been over since? My family hasn't, but Tarek's partner. That's right, my son was here a week ago. I was, Yeah, but my sweetheart hadn't been able to come Are over. they worried about you? I don't think they're worried about me. They know me well enough to know I can take care of myself. Uh, but certainly they're concerned and want to see me come home. Tariq, your family, your family back in the States as well. Yeah. Uh, there's my uh, partner, Ellen, who Ken just mentioned, lives in New York, takes care of our house. Uh, and then there's my daughter, who lives in California. So, uh, How do they feel about what has happened? Uh, well, they are very supportive, actually. Uh, Ellen was over here with us originally. Ellen has been to Palestine with us, to Okinawa. She's part of our team. She's an activist herself. And, uh, she didn't get arrested, though? No, she didn't. Neither did the six other people who were with us, because we were the only two that went on the airfield. Uh, and my daughter is very, also very progressive, and she understands what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And she has for a long time. So she's supportive, and if we don't get our passports back, uh, my daughter will come over and visit, and Ellen is coming over at the end of the month anyway. But no more than the reaction from Ken's partner. I mean, your family not say, what in the name of God were you at? Like, how could you end up getting stuck over there, this stage of life, at family events going on, etc.? You're effectively look, in a form of limbo. Yeah, but look, I have been, you know, you take an action and you have to pay the price. You know, what, sometimes you don't know what the price is. I have no regrets about what we did because it has spread awareness about what's happening. And we talked to many people. And, and so there's an awakening here that maybe is increasing the, the awareness of what's going on at Shannon. But, uh, you know, I've been arrested for civil disobedience and civil resistance many times. And even when my daughter was in school, 
you know, and her friends find out, oh, Melody Stad got arrested again, and it was a source of pride She's because good. they knew that Melody Stad was standing up for something, and they appreciated that. So my daughter has never, my daughter is totally with it. What do you, unless both of you, what do you think about a scenario whereby obviously the two of you, particularly at your stage of life, has sacrificed comforts at home, family, etc., for this cause that you believe in, yet it would appear, and all the opinion polls show it, and certainly in terms of any political fallout, largely I would suggest there is huge apathy in this country at the use of Shannon by the American military. What, what do you think of that? That's why we're here. <laughs> That's exactly why we're here. We're trying to cut, cut through that thick apathy. Uh, and hopefully we're making at least a, a little bit of a difference. And people are frequently asking us, you know, what can we do to help? And we say, well, become part of it. I mean, you just... You talk to your TD, you write letters to the editors, you go to demonstrations, you get together with others, you talk to your friends about it and, and uh, just spread the awareness and say, what really strikes me about it and really hits home for me is the fact that we're sending these troops through Shannon. Uh, they're supporting murderous activities all over the Middle East and Africa, and particularly where we're supporting the Saudi offensive in Yemen, where a million people are on the brink of starvation, and that Ireland, after the troubles it went through in the 19th century, uh, should be complicit in, in actions which are threatening to starve a million people is, is particularly tragic and ironic. And, and what can what, what a lot of people would say, and I'm guessing um, a lot of the political establishment, for instance, perhaps a wider number of people would say... The U.S. has always been a very good friend to Ireland. The U.S. has always, gone back decades, used Shannon in one form or another. It's a link to Europe, etc., even when air travel was not as, as, as advanced as it is now. To turn around to the U.S. and say, no, no more, we're stopping that now, that could get a reaction from a friend that also economically is a lot of investment in this country, could get a very nasty reaction from that ally, effectively. Yeah. Friends don't let friends drive drunk. And America has been driving drunk for at least the last 75 years. And it's time that friends stood up and say, we're not going to let you do this anymore. Well, we're not going to be part of this anymore. You know, it doesn't mean you don't like America. It doesn't mean you're against America. But, you know, Ireland can say, we don't want to be part of your wars. We embrace neutrality. We want to embrace neutrality. We have the illusion of neutrality. We want it to be real. So we're not going to be part of your wars anymore. We love you, but we don't love your wars, and we don't want to be part of it. We don't want to be complicit in, in what is effectively war crimes, crimes against humanity. And turning to the States again, just for a minute, um, we know who's in charge over there now. We know America is divided. Both of you began your activism at the time of the counterculture. There was an awakening. There, there was a lot of hope for a, a different direction. It's nearly as if things have come full circle now. I mean, how do you feel about the future, Ken? The future does not look good, clearly. I mean, it is very questionable whether this species is going to survive another century. Uh, so 
It's increasingly necessary that everybody wake up to what the future is looking like at this point and make some fundamental changes in the way we individually behave, the way we behave in communities, the way we behave as nations. It cannot be sustained, and so it's got to change. Um, I am not optimistic that we're going to do it, but I'm going to do what little part I can and encourage others to do what they can to make the future one in which my children, my grandchildren, and if they decide to have children, which right now is doubtful. I mean, if I were uh, you know, in my 20s at this point, I'd be reluctant to bring a child into the world with the future looking like it does. Tariq, one thing does strike me, though, about irrespective of, and we can see how belligerent in some ways Donald Trump is, for instance, he hasn't started any wars. The wars are continuing. The bombing has increased under Trump. Under Trump. The drone attacks have increased. It's just not getting the publicity that the huge war in Iraq got. But the wars are continuing. The American military is active in over 14 countries. The killing is continuing. The U.S. military is still the greatest user of petroleum for any single industrial entity on Earth. The, the toxic poisoning of the Earth is continuing unabated. Every day, Trump does something more to destroy the environment. It's like he's got a plan. How can I destroy the environment in a more effective way? And you, people have to understand that we're not just talking about children. Right as we're speaking right now, children are dying. Children are either being killed or dying of starvation, mainly due and largely due to U.S. sanctions and U.S. war-making. Right as we're talking, some child is dying. Okay? But it's not only the ch children dying, it's not only the countries being destroyed, it's our very planet which is being destroyed. And this is science. This is not somebody walking around with a sign saying the end is coming, you know, some lunatic. This is scientists. This is our most eminent scientists telling us we do not have much time. And the U.S. military is a major major cause of environmental destruction. And Ireland claims, the government claims that they want to be uh, part of addressing climate change and climate destruction. Well, if you really believe that, then you stop associating with the U.S. military. Then you tell the U.S. military, sorry, we do not want to be part of that. We can't be part of it because our world is at stake. The world, this is not craziness. This is science, what we're talking about. So people have to get this. Okay. Just to pull it back to yourselves, just for one other thing. Since you've arrived here, Ken, where have you stayed? Uh, we've been living mostly in Limerick. Uh, we have supporters there uh, who've housed us. Uh, one of our supporters owns three student houses adjacent to Limerick University and let us live in one of them while the students were gone. We have a supporter down in Dunlera. Uh, when we go down to Dublin, which we did, we went every Tuesday when the doll was in session to protest out in front of the doll. Uh, so the support's been terrific, and the Irish people we've met have been absolutely wonderful to us. You know. Okay, one other thing. Wind the clock back six-plus months. Say, we'll say the 1st of March, two yeah. weeks before you arrive here, and somebody has the capacity to tell you, this is going to be a mess-up. You're going to end up two weeks in prison. You're going to end up seven, eight months in the country. You're possibly going to end up with a prison sentence. We'll wait and see what happens in the court case. You're going to be removed from your family. 
this is a serious price you're going to have to pay. Why not just continue your activism here in the States? You can make as much an impact. Would you take it if that was going? If, if I had known that we were going to you know, be here at this point, no, I wouldn't have done it. But having done it, I have no regrets of having done it. Uh, you know, I did what I felt was appropriate at the time. The price turned out to be higher than I had bargained for, but uh, that's the way it is. And yes, if we'd been back in the States, I mean, I live in New Mexico, so I probably have been active on the, the border where the asylum seekers are rather than being here. I don't think, uh, I've been very, we've both been very active in the States. We've gone to Standing Rock. Uh, we were in Ferguson when all that that happened there, standing up for, for black people in Ferguson and the murders that go on with the police. Uh, but, you know, we're more effective here. It's really interesting. We're much more effective here than we were in the States. And if I had known all of those things that you mentioned, plus the reception that we would get from the Irish people, plus all what I feel is a positive impact, I would do it again, Okay. I would definitely do it again. It hasn't been that great a sacrifice, and it's been worth it. And I want to thank, I'm going to tell you, I want to thank the Irish people. I love this country, and I think the Irish people have a tremendous spirit. And the people that we've spoken to, which is in the hundreds over the six months, because people stop us all the time. They see, they see we're U.S. veterans, and they talk to us. And the people that stop us, there is an education going on, and there's a support. And there's a friendliness and a warmth, and I appreciate that greatly. And I think Ireland has the potential to stand up for peace. And Ken Mayers and Tariq Kauf are back in court on September the 30th when they're hopeful anyway that their trial will go ahead. Uh, if not on that day, then I think it should be scheduled for the following weeks at some point. OK, that's it for today, folks. I'd like to thank producer Declan Conlon and JJ Vernon on sound. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify and you can let me know what you think at mick.clifford at examiner.ie or on Twitter at mickcliff. See you again. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.